two, one, two, check one, two. There you go. That's awesome. Check it. It's great to be here with you guys tonight. I appreciate Steve um, allowing me to uh, share the pulpit with you this weekend. Um, and in uh, vineyard tradition and in honor of the season that we're in, I want to share some amazing jokes that I'm sure you're going to appreciate. And you might want to, I know you're going to take notes through the message, but these are very important. So I would probably make sure I write these down, okay? So they're going to be ones that if you, if, you, if you share these at your Thanksgiving table, you will be a hit with those that you're eating with, okay? So um, why did the pastor <laughs> let the turkey join the worship team? Because he had the drumsticks. <laughs> It's a really good one. All right, this is my favorite. So what do you get when you divide the circumference of a pumpkin by its diameter? Pumpkin pie. He stole my joke. Oh, my goodness. I got to remember that. I got to pay him back someday, you know. You know, that's so funny. No, you know what? Love keeps no record of wrong, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go. All right, what do you get if you cross a turkey with an evil spirit? Poultry Geist. <laughs> I'll be here all week. I'll be here all weekend, actually. I mean, really, I'll be here all weekend. So, listen, this is my, probably one of my favorite times of year. How many of you enjoy Thanksgiving? Raise your hand if you love it. And, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I enjoy the, I'm a guy, so I enjoy the football part of it. I know some of you ladies do as well. But my favorite part of Thanksgiving is just getting together, you know, sharing with one another, the family, the food, the whole thing. And there's nothing that I think encourages and, and builds family and fellowship like, like food. That's one of the reasons I love that we share meals together here. Uh, as a matter of fact, as I was thinking about the, the, uh, the things that I'm thankful for, one of the things at the top of the list was this church. How many of you would say you're thankful for the vineyard? I'm so grateful. When Angie and I moved here a few years back, there's a couple of things we did. We prayed that God would show us and, and reveal to us and allow us to find a church where we it felt like home. You know that kind of feeling when you walk in the door and it just feels like home. That was one of our prayers. Secondly, uh, we were praying that we would find a church with a clearly articulated vision. Now, if you've been coming for any amount of time, you know when you walk in these doors, the feeling of home kind of permeates the atmosphere. I mean, and it is demonstrated even in us eating together. But one of the things I loved about this church is from the very first time I walked in, there was a clearly articulated vision, a mission statement, if you will, that Pastor Steve shares week after week after week after week. And if you've come even once, you've heard it. If you've been here a number of years, you've heard it a number of times. We're going to put it on the screen, and I want us to read it together, okay? Let's read this together. It says... Be thankful. Well, I'll wait till it gets up there. Let's, let's, there it is. Let's read it together. Be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so that we can get one lost child back to dad. Let's say it again. Be thankful for five things. Encourage so we can get one lost child back to dad. Now, it's my goal this weekend as we meet together even this evening to uh, encourage us so that we might come to a place where we can at least uh, be strengthened to fulfill that first part of that vision, be thankful for five things. But I guess my real goal is this. I, w I wanted to come to this Thanksgiving season and have God do a work in my heart so that I'm not just struggling or, or just thankful for five things, but that I would live with a heart full of thanksgiving. That's what I was after. And so as I began to pray through that, God laid something on my heart that I want to share with you guys. 
Now, here's what I want us to do. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures, but the very first one is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, we've got them in the notes, and we've got it on the screen. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible, and it says this. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, in everything. Give thanks. Turn to your neighbor and say, in everything. Give thanks. Now listen, this is real important. Our jumping off place this evening is this. It doesn't say for everything. It says in everything. And guys, I tell you, that's a big, big difference. There are some times in my life when I haven't been thankful for what I was going through, but I could thankful in the thing I was going through. Let me explain. As I was praying through this, I, I suddenly had a, a memory that came back to me. Um, my wife, Angie, was pregnant with our third child, Hannah. Um, I was pastoring a church in San Antonio at the time. The service was about to be over. Angie was, was just full-blown pregnant. She was standing by the back wall kind of to the right because she didn't want to sit down. She was just uncomfortable. And then her water broke in church right in that moment. And they said, hey, you, you got to get her to the hospital. So we kind of shut things down took her to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, they put her in the delivery room. Everything was going great. It was our third child, so we had experienced this before. Everything was fantastic. It got to the place where Angie had a contraction that lasted a very long time. As a matter of fact, it would not stop. And when it didn't stop, the nurse just started kind of you know, moving a little more quickly. Their voices got a little more tense. And then they went and called the doctor. He came in. And before you know it, those, uh, that situation had changed from a joyful experience to one that was very fearful. And what happened was, Angie's placenta had started to tear away. Her life was in danger and the baby's life was in danger. And I remember them getting her on this gurney and start pushing her down the hallway toward like an operating room. And they were jogging. One of those things, you know, where they're jogging, taking her down the hallway. And I was struggling trying to keep up. I didn't know any difference. I'd been there for the birth of our other two children. So I'm kind of following along those big doors that go into the operating room, you know, they open up. And right when they open up, she goes in and a nurse puts her hand on my chest and stops me and says, you can't come in. And I went, oh my goodness. And I realized, you know, it was really an emergency. Here's what happened, guys. I went up against the hallway and I leaned back on a hallway wall like this. And I remember praying and praying. And in that moment, I was not thankful for that circumstance. Thank God the baby is great and did great and and now 26 years old and Angie did great. That's the end of the story. But here's the deal. I wasn't thankful for the circumstance. But I found myself, no family, no nobody there, just me, all alone in that hallway, leaning up against that wall. And I was praying and I found that I could be thankful in the circumstance. You know why? Because I knew I was not alone in that hallway, even though there was no one else physically there with me. You follow what I'm getting at? I felt God's presence with me in that hallway. And so even though I wasn't thankful for what was happening, I was thankful in the happening because God had proven himself faithful to me through, the, through years of growing up, through years of marriage. Now, here's what I want us to do. We're going to look at four important truths this evening. And the goal of this evening is to get us to the place where we're thankful in our hearts from the core, in the bottom of who we are, because we understand something of God's nature more than we ever understood before. Here's important truth number one. It's in your notes. The battle for a thankful heart takes place in my, what does it say? Mind. 
my ability to give thanks is empowered by my perception of past and present experiences. Here's what it means. It means that as I look past at the triumphs and the gains and the joys of my life and how those affect me compared to the losses, the hurts, the disappointments and how those affect me, those two things are almost in at a war, in a battle for, for my attention and my mind. Whether I can trust God or not. You follow what I'm saying? Okay, that's real important to grab because the battle is actually in my mind. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at another scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. You've read it before. It's a very important New Testament passage about spiritual warfare. But I'm going to point some things out in this passage that I hope grip your attention. Here's what it says in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Everyone say fortresses. Another way to interpret that word is strongholds, and we'll talk about it in a minute. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote these verses. And in his day, a stronghold or a fortress, a fort, a castle, was more like a walled city. It was was some kind of a protection for armies. They would build these fortresses out of large stones or boulders or beams. And these armies would go in and out of these fortresses. In the imagery of Paul, he's communicating to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these fortresses can also, in a spiritual way, take place in our mind because they're raising themselves up against the knowledge of God. So the boulders, the beams, the the stones that make up this fortress are really lies concerning who God really is. These beams or stones or, or, or these rocks that build this fortress are what I like to call ungodly beliefs. Things that I believe about God that are not true. Does that make sense to you? You're following me there. Okay, so it's important to grab a hold of that because this imagery is really powerful and Paul is really trying to stress it to us. So what does that mean for us? It means that the enemy comes into our mind and he gets us to question what God really says to us about us and what God really says to us about him. The enemy comes and and gets us to question that. It's it's not a new strategy. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes to Eve. When the serpent comes to Eve, what does he say? He says this, has God really said? He questions what God has said. He questions what God says. So these armies can take refuge, they can hide, they can rest in these strongholds, and they go in and out for battle, and the enemy comes many times to hide and to rest in my broken thoughts about who God is. So, how do we destroy these fortresses? Am I going too fast for you? Are you still with me? Okay, everybody say, I'm still with you. 
Even if you're not, it makes me feel good. So, all right. So how do we destroy these fortresses? Here's what we do. Important truth number two. I can't afford to entertain thoughts about me that God doesn't think about me. Now, I want us all to read that together. So you need to look at the screen or look at your notes. We're going to read it together. Here we go. I can't afford to entertain thoughts about me that God doesn't think about me. Now, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Because the moment I do, a lie or a deception begins to war against the revelation of the truth of who God really is. The minute I start to entertain thoughts about me that God doesn't think about me, then, then these lies, these ungodly beliefs come in and they war against what the word says God really thinks about me. Now, we all know that the enemy, John chapter 10 verse 10, the scripture says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his strategy. Um, matter of fact, it's interesting to note that word for steal, when it says the enemy comes, it says the thief the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That word for thief is the Greek word. The New Testament was written in Greek. That's the Greek word klepto. It's where we get our, our word kleptomaniac. So it's the klepto comes to klepto and destroy us. Now, that's his strategy. Now, what I want us to understand, though, is God gives us equipment. He gives us tools to fight that strategy. Pastor Steve just finished a series on Meals with Jesus. I loved it. I absolutely loved the series. In Mark chapter 8, there's a story about one of those meals, and I want to kind of revisit that story just for a minute. Do you remember in the story, it's when Jesus is feeding the, it says 4,000, but we know that it's probably more than that, because in that day, they really just numbered the men. So if you can imagine, it might have been eight, ten thousand, 10,000, depending on the children that were present, it might have been even more than that. But Jesus takes some loaves, he takes some fishes, and then he, 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 he blesses it, he multiplies it miraculously, and he feeds those people. And the Bible says this, there were seven large baskets full, listen, seven large basketfuls left over. So the Bible then says that in verse 14 of Mark 8, it says, then they get together, the disciples and Jesus, and they go to the other side of the lake. So I want to kind of illustrate this for you real quick. Here they are over here, and Jesus blesses this, this miraculous thing happens. He blesses this meal. Over 4,000 are fed. The disciples get seven large basketfuls left over. Jesus and the disciples head to the other side of the lake. When they get to the other side of the lake, the disciples, this is what happens. They look at one another, and they say this. Oh, gee whiz, we forgot to bring bread. Now, this is the, that time when Jesus fed the 4,000. That's actually the second time he fed a ton of people. Now, I can't, I thought it was so comical as I read this over and over again. Can you imagine the disciples leaving seven basketfuls of bread, miraculous bread? It was probably the best taking, tasting bread they've ever had in their life. Bread from heaven? Oh, my goodness. And they left it, and they get over there, and one disciple looks at Fran and says, Fran, did you bring the bread? Fran's like, no. And I, I thought you had the bread. No, I thought you had the bread. Come on, man. You're in charge of the bread. Who would, and they, how can you? And it says they forgot to take bread. Now, let me tell you what it says. It says, then they began to reason and to discuss those two words. Reason. They began to discuss with one another. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
we forgot to bring the bread. Now, time out. Jesus had just, uh, uh, days, weeks before, fed over 5,000, probably more like 15. In this moment, Jesus had fed probably 12 or so. And now they go across the lake and they don't have bread and they're saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Jesus takes that opportunity to teach them a very important lesson that I want us to look at here for a few minutes. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I want to warn you of two things. I want to warn you of the leaven of the Pharisees and I want to warn you of the leaven of Herod. Now, Jesus knows their reasoning and they're discussing and they're, they're, they're talking about that they forgot to take bread and he takes that moment as a teaching moment. And he says, let me tell you something. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and watch out for the leaven of Herod. What in the heck does that mean? Here's what it means. The leaven of the Pharisees is this. Jesus is saying, watch out for a religious system where God appears to be central but he's impersonal and he's powerless. Watch out for that system. The leaven of the Pharisees. That was what the Pharisees did. They talked about all God, God all day long. But it was, not an, it was not a personal God. It was not a powerful God. Okay, now watch. The leaven of Herod. What is this? Jesus is saying, watch out for humanistic systems that give us and, and make us prone to worldly evaluations of our circumstances. Humanistic systems of the world that make us prone to worldly evaluations of our circumstances so that we only look at our circumstances with natural eyes. Faith does not rise up in our hearts. Okay, you got this? So a impersonal, powerless God, watch out for and a humanistic system of the world that lets us look at things and evaluate from that evaluation only. Jesus says, be careful. The disciples miss that communication. They miss that teaching altogether. They continue talking about and discussing among themselves, what are we going to do for bread? What are we going to do? Matter of fact, if you think about it, what they're saying is, what are we going to do about what we're lacking? They were lacking bread. But folks, let me tell you, let's bring this down to home. You and I do the same thing. Many, many times we question, what are we going to do about that which we're lacking? It doesn't have to be bread. I mean, I'm 56 years old, so I've gone around the circle a couple of times. There are times in my life where I've said, my goodness gracious, you know what? I don't measure up in this circumstance. I don't measure up here. Matter of fact, compared to that person, I'm only this. Compared to that person, I'm only this. When I was a pastor of a church, there were it, it, it's just something that, that happened many, many times. I would compare myself to other pastors, and I would think I can't sing like him. I can't preach like him. I can't pray like him. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. You may do that in your job too. I know that for young people, sometimes I'm not as strong as this person. I'm not as pretty as this person. I'm not as handsome as this person. And we talk about our lack, and that lack captures our mind. I don't, I don't, I don't do math well. I don't read well. I don't have a good memory. The list goes on and on and on. And those things that we think we're insufficient at many times capture our thoughts, steal our thoughts, and hold us captive in, in an emotional state that is not healthy for us. So it doesn't matter if it's, if it's bread you're lacking or if it's, if it's self-esteem that you're lacking. The bottom line is we find ourselves in that situation just like the disciples did. All right, now, 
I'm going to tell you important truth number three. Listen to it very closely. Every response I have in life comes out of love or comes out of fear. Every response I have in life comes out of love or comes out of fear. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. The disciples in that moment are stressing over a lack. Fear overtakes them and they don't know what they're going to do even though they had just seen Jesus do an amazing, amazing, amazing miracle. So, remember, he had done this miracle and he'd done one before. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room have ever had a circumstance where you looked at your life and you said, oh my, good, oh my God, oh my God, oh my goodness, whatever, this is a crisis. Anybody had a crisis in your life? Raise your hand. Of those of you who raised your hand, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen God break through in your crisis and a miracle happen in your life? Anybody in this room? I've, I've seen it in my life. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you in that circumstance have actually seen in weeks, months, or even years later after that first crisis, a second crisis come up that was similar to the first crisis? Anybody besides me? And, it, you know, I, okay. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road, and I'm going to be honest with you, so I trust you're going to be honest with me. All right, here it is. How many of us in this room were as, were as um, I'll just use the word, uh, fearful in that cir- second occasion as we were in the first? Even though God broke through in the first. How many of you, come on. The second occasion it happened, and I, my knees were still shaking, right? Okay. So we find ourselves in the same place as the disciples, God, Jesus had provided and and done a miraculous thing for the 5,000 plus. Then Jesus did a miraculous thing for the 4,000 plus. They go to the other side of the lake. They get there and they say, we forgot the bread. What are we going to do? There's no food to eat. And the result was fear. And every response we have comes out of love or comes out of fear. Let me explain it. Love is the source or fear is the source of our words. Love or fear is the source of our emotions. Love or fear is the, resource, is the source of our responses. It's the source of our decisions. It's the source of the things we pursue or choose not to pursue. It's either love or it's fear. And Jesus says to these disciples, listen to what he says. He says, why do you reason? Why do you discuss that you have no bread? He was listening to them. The Bible says in verse 14, they were discussing, they had no bread. Verse 16, Jesus comes and says, why are you discussing that you have no bread? Why are you reasoning? Why are you speculating? Let me tell you something interesting about that word. Do you remember back in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? We said we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Do you know that word for speculations in that verse? is the exact same Greek word that the disciples were doing when it says they were speculating why we don't have bread. It's the same Greek word that Jesus used when he came to the disciples and said, why are you speculating that you have no bread? It's the very thing the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. We are to destroy those speculations. We're to take those thoughts captive. He says those thoughts are are lies raised up against the knowledge of the truth of who God is. They're boulders in this fortress. They're stones in this stronghold. And they come to keep us from believing that God really loves us the way he loves us. Now, 
we need to kind of hurry through this, and I'm going to get to important truth number four. You ready for it? Everybody say yes. All right. God's miraculous intervention in my life is to be for me a revelation of his nature. I want us to read that together out loud, everyone together. God's miraculous intervention in my life is to be for me a revelation of his nature. What does that mean? I'm going to share a verse with you, and then we're going to talk about what it means real quick. In Psalm 103, the Bible tells us that the nation of Israel only saw the acts of God, and therefore they always grumbled, and they were never satisfied. It says Moses saw the ways of God, the nature of God, and it brought about a relationship that was amazing between God and Moses. So listen... When God does a miraculous event and he provides for the 4,000, he provides for the 5,000, when God does something miraculous and he provides in your life and you have a breakthrough. I was talking to somebody at Home Depot this week. I went in and the guy was checking me out at the Home Depot in Marathon. And I said, how are you doing today? And he said, I'm wonderful. I said, that's great. I said, everything in life going on well? He said, my life is fantastic. Let me tell you why. He said, my life was changed about four years ago. I said, really, what happened to you? He said, I was an alcoholic. And he said, I stopped drinking four years ago and my life was completely changed. So I took the opportunity. So I said, you know what? My life was completely changed when I was about 28 years old. He said, really, what happened to you when you were 28 years old? I said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he changed my life. Now, he said to me, you know what? I gave my life to Jesus five years ago. So we had a great conversation right there in, in the Home Depot. Here's the point. The point is, God absolutely wants to reveal himself in a miraculous way to us through breakthroughs. This man had an alcohol problem. God broke through in his life, and he needs to take, and, and he was, he, it was evident by what he was saying, you take the breakthrough in your life, and you let it come into your thoughts as a revelation of the nature of God, who he really is, not just what he did four years ago. In other words, I can be standing in a hallway, worrying about my wife and my baby, leaning against the wall, praying, all alone, nobody with me, but in my heart, realizing I'm not alone because there is somebody with me because he's been there before, and he's been there before, and he's been there before, and he was there before. He was there when I was 16. He was there when I was 12. He was there when I was 21. And if he's there with me when I'm in those situations in that age, he is going to be with me when I'm 24 or 25 and a crisis with my third child because he's never going to leave me and never going to forsake me, and therefore I can be thankful in all things, even though I'm not thankful for the thing. Are you following that? It's the nature of God that I anchor myself in. It's not what he does for me. I mean, my goodness, guys, I was preparing this message to be thankful for everything, and there's a lot that happened this week that we were not thankful for. I mean, in everything. I mean, my goodness, on Thursday, our air conditioner broke in our, in our condo. And we were sweating and we called our home warranty people and we said, you know what, we got a home warranty. Send somebody out, have them fix our air conditioner. They said, sure. Then they forgot about it. Friday comes along. Hey, we've got a home warranty. Bring somebody out to fix our air conditioning. And they said, well, we got an issue here. And it drug on all day Friday and they said, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be on Monday. So now we got Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night without an air conditioner in our condo. And you say, no big deal. Then come sleep in our condo. 
It's a pretty big deal. We've got fans on. We've got my wife up all night fanning me with a big, big, no, I'm kidding. I get, she gets a palm branch and she's, no, I'm, she's not doing that. I'm sorry. All right, just real quick. You say to me, Billy, then what in the heck is the nature of God? How do I know the nature of God? I want to share one thing with you that I hope captures your attention and, and is a revelation to you. 1 Corinthians 13, has anybody ever heard of that chapter before? When, it's the love chapter. When do we most hear 1 Corinthians 13 quoted? We normally hear it at dum, 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 at weddings, right? Because it's a wonderful chapter on love. And we read it, we preach it, we talk about relationship between a husband and wife, between you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, that kind of thing. And it goes like this. You know, I'm going to say just a bit of it. You know it. It goes, love is patient, love is kind, and then it keeps going. But listen, folks, the scripture says that God is love. So I'm going to take love and I'm going to replace the word love in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to take it out and I'm going to replace it for God. You want to know the nature of God? Here's the nature of God. God is patient with you. You hear me? God is patient with you. You've experienced that before, haven't you? God is kind toward you. He's very kind toward you. He's very kind toward me. God does not envy. He doesn't boast. He isn't proud. In other words, he is humble. God will not dishonor you. Some of you in this room, listen to me. God will not dishonor you. He is not self-seeking, but he seeks your good and your welfare. Everything that happens in your life It comes to you and God uses it for good. Because we live in a broken world on a broken planet and we're broken people, it's it's not that he sends everything your way. Things happen, but when they happen, you know what God is not doing? He's not up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh no, I didn't see that one coming. That's not happening. I love this. It says, God is not easily angered toward you. He's not easily angered toward me. And he keeps no record of my wrongs. We struggle with that one because we keep records of our wrong. He keeps no records of our wrong. He does not delight in evil, but he delights in truth. God will always protect you. God will always trust you. Isn't that amazing? God always hopes in you and believes the best in you. He will always persevere with you and for you. And then it says love never fails. God never, say it with me, fails. I believe it's only when we begin to grasp the nature of who God is. When we grasp the nature of who God is, I am more confident in his love for me. And when I become more confident in his love for me, I begin to experience in my life a heart that can be thankful in everything, even though I'm not thankful for the thing. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to end this evening with some declarations. Uh, I grew up a Southern Baptist. And in the Southern Baptist church, now and then we had some responsive readings Anybody else have a responsive reading growing up? And you would, the pastor or the leader would say a phrase and the congregation would respond with a phrase. 
So I've got some scriptures I wrote down, and then I wrote some declarations that you're going to make. So here's the first one, and we're just going to go through. It's in your, I don't know that it's in your notes. I think it's only going to be on the screen, and we're going to read it together. You ready? Here it is. Do not be anxious about anything. This is me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You read this. I will The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy and I will give thanks. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, that was weak. And, and I, I typed that on purpose with conviction and power because we're going to make this declaration, okay? And what happens is I want you to see this and then we're going to be through. You got to understand these strongholds are built up in your mind, in my mind. These, these, these fortresses are there. We need to have these declarations in our hearts. We need to war against these things. As a matter of fact, it says we are destroying speculations. It's a violent word. I had a video that I forgot to show you. It's a violent word meaning tearing down with all of our might these speculations. So if we could put up the last declaration, and we're going to say it with conviction this time, okay? Could you put up the last declaration? Let's see. Here it is. With conviction. Here we go. I will not fear for God. One more time. Here we go. I will not fear for God is with me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, do not fear for God is with you. Tell him, do not fear for God is with you, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy got two folks. Bless the Lord. Amen. Steve, thank you so much. Amen. Thank you so much. All right.